electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a critical question. Is Wall Street ignoring a growing number of risks in the near term to your money? Are stocks increasingly vulnerable to a pullback into the end of the year? We debate that today with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today are Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal, and Tiffany McGee, the CEO of Momentum Advisors Institutional Investment Services Group. Let's begin by going to the wall, take a look at where we stand right now. S&P creeping, albeit so slightly, into the green. Dow way, way off the lows of the early morning. Still down eight. Nasdaq's down about 11 and a half, somewhat muted there for the Russell 2000 as well. But Jim Labenthal, Farmer Jim, that's where I want to begin today of whether we are ignoring some of the risks that exist out there. Everything seems so perfect. The setup seems so perfect. Everybody keeps listing all the reasons why stocks should go higher. I want to remind you, though, a wide rollout of the vaccine is not coming for months. I'm talking a wide rollout. The CDC's Redfield today. December, January, and February will be the most difficult period for public health in the history of this country. That's what he said. I wonder if the market's paying attention to that enough. You still have no stimulus, though you do have some positive headlines within the last half hour or so. You have earnings estimates, which are elevated going into next year. And then you have a group of stocks, Jim, enterprise software, some cloud stocks, where valuations are in the clouds. Boy, there's a lot to unpack. Thanks for giving me all that. I really mean it. Um, Look, there are risks out there, and I'm staying invested. Does that mean I'm ignoring them? No, I'm perfectly aware of the fundamental risks that you just pointed out, which to which I'll respond by saying the market does tend to look forward six months, and it says, hey, we're going to have the vaccine out there. But there's also technical risks that really need to be paid attention to. You've got very low put-to-call ratios. You've got big inflows into equity ETFs and mutual funds. You've got very bullish sentiment. You've got M&A picking up. That all does say from a technical point of view that we are getting a little ebullient in terms of uh, uh, risk ignorance, shall we say. However, Scott, here's the important point. It's likely to continue ignoring the risks. Why? Because you're in December in an up year. That's not a time seasonally that people like to take uh, realize capital gains. So you're likely to see the winners continue to win. And here's what's really interesting. The losers. Take a look at XLE and XLF, the energy and financial ETFs. They're actually doing really well at a time frame where you expect them to be sold. You usually sell your losers in an up year. Finally, I will say this. Uh, By the way, that's bullish. That's bullish that the losers aren't being sold. But those software stocks that you mentioned, that's the one area of the market that I think is a bubble. I think it's ripe for a correction or worse at any point in time. It's actually already been going on. All right. So, Tiffany, let's let's talk about what what Jim has said, because there's a lot there. And at times he sounded like Tom Lee. He sounded like Tom Lee, who says (laughs) since 1945, December, the bull, Tom Lee. 
You, I mean, you, that is a compliment. Tom Lee's been right. Since 1945, I brought this up yesterday. Tom Lee said when the S&P is up 10 to 15 percent to this point in the year, it's up 100 percent of the time in December. Savita Subramanian Bank of America, December, she says, typically a seasonally strong month for both stocks and for active funds. She thinks stocks are going higher. A lot of other people think stocks are going higher. Is the market delusional about the here to there, meaning from now until we actually get the vaccine widely rolled out? Yeah, so I don't think the market's delusional. Um, you know, I think, you know, Jim, Jim brought up a couple good points. Um, you know, he, he, we're talking about, started off talking about um, risks. And I, I think one of the major risks that we have, um, you know, to, to the economy right now is the lack of stimulus. I mean, it, it, you know, we're, we're sitting around talking about stocks and, and the markets. Well, you know, the stock market is not the economy. And, but the, the stock market needs the economy ultimately to do well. Um, it needs consumers to spend. It needs consumers to be doing you know, well and not struggling and not worried about where you know, their next meal is going to come from, whether they're, how they're going to um, be able to educate their kids with laptops or lack thereof. So that's a very real thing. Um, and so, you know, Jim, you know, also talked about, you know, fundamental risks. Well, we're fundamental, um, fundamental investors. And so, you know, we're looking for opportunities. Again, you guys know that I like tech, but not tech with a broad brush, right? So tech that is, you know, enabling other businesses to do well. Um, tech that is really forward thinking and um, being, you know, like pioneers, if you will, in certain spaces. Quit, quick pivot companies that are really thinking forward about tech. So that's what we like right now. Okay. So Weiss, help me figure this out. Okay. Credit Suisse today says the market is at a critical inflection point. And maybe that inflection point comes this week with a round of earnings that we're going to have in an area of the market that Jim Labenthal called a bubble and that others are worried about too. Even the biggest of supporters of some of these stocks in enterprise software and cloud say that they are way extended. You've got Snowflake, Okta, Zscaler all reporting today after the bell. You've got, and I bring these up because I think a lot of our viewers own these stocks. DocuSign, Cloudera, PagerDuty, they report after the bell tomorrow. You had Joel Greenblatt, the famed value investor, talking today with Leslie Picker. And though he did not specifically call this space out by name, he was asked about it and said there is froth in a lot of money losing stocks that have had huge returns. Stocks that are up like 100 percent, even though they 100 percent don't make any money. Do we need to worry about these, Steve? Is this an inflection point when these companies report over the next 24 and 48 hours? Absolutely not. It's not an inflection point for the market. We've seen the S&P reporting period. Basically, it's over. So these are one-off companies. I know Joel personally. I know him as an investor. He is a brilliant investor. He's also got a value bent. But the companies he's calling out, he didn't call them out specifically, he's absolutely right on. We saw it with Zoom yesterday. We, we'll see it with Zscaler that, by the way, hasn't reported an up earnings relative to their to consensus in over a year. So Okta as well, they're serial missers. But the rising tide of pulling forward what we do from home and work from anywhere has lifted all boats. So eventually the market shake out. But none of those are market stocks, in my view. But what if the they whole may group cause pops. the Robin crowd some pain? What if the whole group pops, though? Like, I mean, you've got, I'll throw in another one. MongoDB is up 90% in a year. It's not profitable. Right. It's 31 times sales. It reports on December 8th. 
Snowflake, I mentioned them already, not profitable, $83 billion market cap, 208 price to sales. Okta, not profitable, Zscaler, not profitable, DocuSign, not profitable, Cloudera, not profitable, PagerDuty, not profitable. I could go on, but I think you get the point. I, I get the point, but to me, there's no read-through to the rest of my portfolio or the market in general. They treat them as one-offs. You could have made the case on the poster child for what you're talking about, which is Zoom. And Zoom missed, and Zoom's back up today. It's still over 400 bucks. It's still at a ridiculous multiple, but it hasn't impacted the market. The market was going down anyway yesterday, although some segments of technology, like Qualcomm, et cetera, did very well yesterday. So I just don't think it really matters. It matters from the headlines. It matters from stocks that have quintupled or been up tenfold. But I own stocks that aren't making any money. And like Jumia, which we often talk about, where I bought a lot more because that went down 25% in the announced offering. So it got cheaper. Okay. Those stocks, I, look, there's air below them. I'm not buying them. I've avoided them. I can do very well without owning them. All right, Joe, so let's talk about a stock since Steve doesn't want to talk about stocks that aren't impacting the market, I get it. He says, okay, these are their own individual stories. If they fall apart, they're not going to bring the whole market down. Let's talk about a stock today, a big one, that is affecting the market. That's Salesforce. Salesforce does, Salesforce does the deal with Slack. They pay up $27.7 billion. Analysts don't like, at least some of them don't like the acquisition for a variety of reasons. You own Salesforce. Is this representative of this sort of bubble narrative that's out there of Salesforce is willing to pay up for a company that, I don't know, Slack's not profitable. They pay up a lot. Maybe that's the price of doing business and getting in the ring with Microsoft, but they still did the deal at a high valuation. They mm -hmm. did, uh, and I purchased Salesforce in the wake of the announcement that they were going to go out and purchase Slack. I'm going to share with you what basically everyone who comes on the network has said since that, that Salesforce is a phenomenal technology company and that this acquisition, while Mark Benioff is paying a very rich premium valuation for Slack, it should be ignored in the interim because in the long run, he'll be able to integrate oh, that man, into the platform. I've heard that that's, kind of language before. And that's a very... I've heard that kind absolutely. of language before. And you were, that kind of deal, they paid up. And Forget you're going about to, it. doesn't matter. You ignore it now because they're going to reap the rewards later on. You've heard that too from other people about 20 years ago. I just told you 100%. That's exactly what everyone is going to communicate to you. And in addition to that, it's Mark Benioff who's doing it. So Mark Benioff gets that managerial pass that other CEOs making this type of acquisition would not get. The deal is going to close in fiscal year 2022. I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. I'm down 11% on my stock purchase. I'm not happy about it, but what am I going to do right here? I'm not going to sell out of the position. I'm going to maintain it. I understand the frustration that's going to come in the coming quarters as it relates to the Salesforce share price. And ultimately, it's a position uh, that I believe at some point will turn to profitability. The reason, the reason why we're having this conversation and I wanted to lead our show with it today is because I don't want to give it a pass. I don't want to give the environment a pass. I want to have a conversation, Tiff, about whether investors are ignoring 
some warning signs that may be out there because we're all feeling euphoric about the, the vaccine. And we're so hopeful that society is going to return to normal as soon as possible, maybe sooner than it actually is, is what, is what we're thinking. That's why I want to have the conversation. Yeah, so, you know, when you frame it like that, um, I understand the question and I, and I understand why you're asking it. Um, you know, we are kind of living in this world where, you know, the, these companies, especially the ones that we're talking about right, right now, these, you know, tech companies, stay-at-home stocks, quote-unquote, um, have been really, really flying high. Um, and, you know, there's good news, right? There's finally a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but I, you know, think that things are going to get really real really soon. Again, I keep coming back to stimulus. I keep coming back to people who, you know, um, who, you know, one half of the country uh, has, um, you know, they've, they've been able to maintain their income and their expenses have dropped in, you know, um, in, in 2020 significantly, right? Um, some people that are kind of right on that edge, how, how, how am I going to pay my mortgage or like my rent come January 1st when those moratoriums are lifted? All of these things, and then we have, you know, at least until, you know, uh, the, the end of January, until we have a, a new administration in who can actually maybe do some things about that. Because you're right, like there's, there's, no, there's no hope right now for a stimulus. We know that it's coming. I mean, it, it's going to come, but we just don't have a date and it's probably, you know, not going to come before the end yes, of the year. Yes, you're right. So so you're, that's going to get really real. Forgive me, Do you for, know what I mean? forgive me for interrupting you. I, yeah. I agree with you. Um, you own Salesforce as well. Okay. Are, do you like this deal? Yeah. So I don't like what they paid for it. And so, so I, you know, I, I don't really um, see great things in, you know, in, in the short term. I mean, yes, who knows what's going to happen? Yes. The, you know, the, the, you know, uh, to, to, to Joe's point, they might integrate Slack. What I would have liked to see from Salesforce, and this is something that, that I would have, that I've been wanting for a long time, is for them to come out with um, a less expensive, um, you know, offering for small businesses. I think that would have been a better play here. Um, and, you know, overall with the deal, I think they paid too much. And I don't think that that's, you know, it's the, the stock right now is, it's not great. I don't like to sit back and watch things that I buy go down, right? That doesn't make me feel good. Right. So I don't know if this deal is going to be enough to, 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 um, to turn that around. And I don't think it is in the short term. I don't. Joe, you own DocuSign, which is on, hey, on, on my list. Hold on, Steve. You, Joe, you own DocuSign, which is, which is on my list. DocuSign is up 185% year to date. It's forward PE. Joe, do you know what their forward PE is? You know what the forward PE is? Uh, somewhere probably about 600. Half that, but the point is well taken. <laughs> Three, 320. <laughs> Half that. Good guess. Okay. Gets me to where I wanted to go. You know what I'm saying. Okay. Absolutely. It's emerging growth. That's exactly what it is. It's a company, and I own very few of these emerging growth companies, but it is a company that I believe has introduced a digital transformation that is going to stay with us, not just beyond the moment of now, but in many years to come. What's the competition for DocuSign? Is there any? You have Adobe Sign. You have HelloSign from Dropbox. Beyond that, that's it. So how about I'm I show willing, up somewhere and sign? How about I show, some, some, I show up somewhere and sign? How about that competition? You mean, mo you mean mobility? Does mobility exist in this economy anymore? I'm not sure about that, Scott. 
Well, I think it's going to hopefully once there's a vaccine, maybe you'll, you actually show up and do some things like go to a gym and you won't buy Peloton's hand over fist. Maybe you will. Um, I'm just raising the issue because I, I wanted to have the conversation about some of the Z-scaler. Do you know what the P.E. Joe of, of, of Z-scaler is forward? Take a guess. I like the way this is going so far. I don't. Just throw a number out. 200. Double that. 200. See, you were, you were twice too high before. Now you're, now you're twice <laughs> too low now. 476.3 times forward P.E. The, the stock's up 214% year, year to date. Another area that I wanted to get into, semis, Weiss. Mm-hmm. I get that semis are in mm-hmm. everything. Get it, right? There's a reason why they've gone up. Semis are at all-time highs. Are some of these stocks too extended? Sure, some are too extended. Uh, but I take a look out a year, and here's the difference. You and I and everybody else on this show, we live as people today. We focus on today. Markets live in the future and focus on what's going to be a year, two years, five years out. So that's the difference. So while some stocks are extended, Micron, which I own, included, uh, even though it shows up as cheap on P, definitely compared to what you've mentioned, you didn't even get to Okta, which is like 2,000 times next year's number. They will well, I didn't do that earnings. one. Now, I, you don't have to have. I, I didn't do that one because they yeah. don't have any earnings. Exactly. They're losing money. Right. So, um, but if you look at the best forecast, it's 2,100 times earnings next year if they make money, which is a stretch. Mm. So, so I agree with you. Some are, some are out of control and some will never catch up to the hype. Micron's not one of those though. So they came out, they pre-announced that things are going great. It's down to duopoly. And I don't mind sticking with it because it will grow into that. The others that I have, I don't mind that either. In terms of Salesforce, look, Benioff's got more at stake than anybody that owns a stock, but he's also seen slowing growth. And he recognized, I said, I've got this ridiculous high currency, so I'm going to go out and buy this company. I don't know why he bought it. The old saying, why buy the cow milk so cheap? They've been working with Slack already. They've had a partnership. Now, the difference between Microsoft and Salesforce is Microsoft created Teams because their franchise is that strong and that global okay. that they can build it. They don't have to go out and spend $28 billion to buy it. You guys all have a, a defender and a, a loud one in, in Jim Cramer, who is, I got to find this, who is lighting me up on Twitter right now. And I've told him he better come out here now and, and make this case to all of you. He says, and a lot of you, I think, are making similar points. You refuse, of, to me, you refuse to accept these are land and expand companies where management is laser focused with a huge TAM, TAM, total addressable market, and a sense that if you unpack the story, it is huge because of their go-to market strategies. Come on, pal. That's what Jim Cramer says, right? So is, is, that, what I'm, is that what I'm missing? What, what Jim says about why people, you know, I think a good portion Look, of our th- viewers have gotten into these stocks, Farmer Jim. And they should stay there and not well, worry I'm, about some of these bloated metrics that I've said for all of the reasons that Jim just laid out. 
Uh, listen, the, I am only saying it's a good move in terms of Salesforce. Those other names, those Octas and Datadogs and MongoDB, most people who are in them can't really tell you what they do. Okay, And I've seen that before. I've seen that in the late 90s when all of these tech companies like Cisco and Juniper, everybody said they were going to grow to the sky. If you dumped a box of electric components in front of them, they didn't know which ones were Cisco's or AT&T's or Lucent's. And it's the same thing going on with those Datadogs and MongoDB's. But Salesforce, I think, stands apart. I don't think you can knock Mark Benioff. The guy's been a genius for a long time. The acquisition of Slack is both defense to make sure that neither Slack, Zoom, nor uh, teams can get into the Salesforce uh, customer relationship management, while at the same time giving him a new area to grow organically once this is in place. So I, I, I set Salesforce apart, but I'm telling you, that one area of software stocks, it's the only area of the market that I, is no touch to me. It's no touch. It's just an area that I keep hearing about from people who've been on this show, some of whom are investors in those companies who love the companies. They love the growth outlook. They don't necessarily love where the stocks are now because they think that they, Steve, have been extended too far. That's the only reason I'm bringing this up to have this conversation. I'm not casting doubt on the fundamentals or first mover status of any of these businesses. Even people who love the companies are telling me the stocks are too extended. And they're right, and Jim is wrong. I mean, I'm surprised Jim's saying that. He lived through 99. He's lived through many markets. We've seen this before. They are bubbles. Companies that are selling that have, at those prices that haven't earned the right by great execution, quarter after quarter, year after year, in all environments, shouldn't be selling at those multiples. Period. End of story. So I don't know where Jim's coming from on this. You're going to find out because he's getting mic'd up. As is he ready now? Is he ready? Oh, there he is. Now I could. Are you? Were you? Were you being sarcastic? Yes. Were you, yes. Okay. Yes. Because that's all those <laughs> phrases they use all the time. I want to strangle them. They're, yes, but do I land to expand? Am I uh, unpack this and pull the thread? I didn't use pull the thread. Right. Let's pull the thread on this. But let me just say that uh, these are all companies that are trying to take over before anybody else can take over. It, it, they don't want to be slacked. I mean, remember, Slack was a, not able to grow, although it was growing in the enterprise right at the end, and I think people are not, mis they're not even bothering to read the conference call. But, you know, when you get a Z-scale, Frank Sloop is going to be coming on our show, and, and he's Snowflake. It is very hard to evaluate what Snowflake is worth. And what I think is happening here is, is that the growth managers of the world, like in 1999, except for a lot of these companies end up being profitable, they don't know how to value them either. I mean, they didn't know how to value Zoom at 50 times sales, and they don't know how to value Snowflake at 100 times sales. All they know is Snowflake is the fastest growing large company in America. So what do you pay for that? And they're all trying to figure it out, and no one really knows, but some guys just step up and pay for it. And they think it could be Tesla of, of technology, but I think the problem is it's they don't know how to value them, so they value them very high. And when you you know these are not hydrogen fuel cell companies; these are companies that are very very good, and they could be the next Microsoft. But look, I, I'm not going to disagree that there's a bubble, but the bubble the problem with with putting a pin, so to speak, in the bubble is what do we pay for the fastest growing company in America? What should we pay? Do we? Hey, Jimmy. What should we pay? Hey Jimmy. Yes. 
Jimmy, don't, don't you have a flashback to Scott McNeely 20 years ago when he was addressing Sun Microsystems, his company, at 100 times uh, sales, and he was saying, look, if I'm selling you my stock, you're saying that you're going to get 10 years of sales with no cost of goods sold, no taxes, everything's going to go right, nobody's going to come in and compete. I mean, I, I hear what you just said. I just think it ends in tears. I think but you think that, too. You just well, don't know when. It depends on which one. I mean, for instance, I endorsed Salesforce when it was at $8. Well, let's take Snowflake. And they were let's take Snowflake. They were losing a fortune. And that was a great bet by me, that $8, Benioff came on, the stock had fallen and fallen. And I said, listen, I think you have a winner. I, I happen to love the product. And that's the problem. They love the product. This is not like uh, 1999 companies where a lot of them, the public never even cared about it. These companies are doing amazing things. And yes, do you need Okta as a passport to, to, to be known who you are online? Yes. Should it be? I don't even know if Todd McKinnon thinks it should be trading at that level. But we don't know how to value them because they're really important. They're growing really fast. Some of them are going to win like Salesforce. Some are going to lose. But you know what? It, 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 it's just... It is literally the crowd, and I know because it's. You could say, well, it's the, the crowd is typically who you want to bet against. The crowd trying to figure out what price. It, it is not that people think that. But they're, Jimmy, Jimmy, the, what? I'm sorry, Jim, Jimmy. I'll, I'll take I'll take Salesforce and agree with you. Before while you were getting mic'd up, I said put that one aside. First off, it's okay. 60 times earnings, so let's just put that aside. And you cash okay. flow. You but take a look flow. at Snowflake. Take. Well, let's take Snowflake, if you'll okay. just indulge me for a second. $86 billion market cap. I mean, I, I don't remember Brad Gerstner's exact number for the TAM, but I think it was in the range of 80 to 100 million for the whole TAM. That's basically his, his company now is worth the whole TAM, excluding any competition or cost of goods sold or anything going wrong. I mean, I think this is just a question of when, not if. This well, is this I, is Cisco I too a bridge too far. I was surprised that Snowflake went from 230 to 300. I thought it was going to go down. Uh, and I speak to Frank, and I think Frank's amazing. He told me about ServiceNow. Take a look at ServiceNow, how well they do. Um, to the winner belongs the spoils, but we don't know who the winners are. Mm -hmm. But what we've decided is that everyone could be the winner until someone loses. And that's where we are right is, now. Are, are we? Are you at all look worried? Look at Fastly. I guess, Jim, I wanted to have this, this conversation to, to wonder for, for our viewers if, if this bubble bursts, if yes. it does, is that enough to disrupt the, the market at large? Or is there enough of a rotation into the energies, which no. is ripping today, and some of these other value spaces that the market can withstand a total upset in one of the most high-flying parts of it? I think the answer is absolutely. I think that uh, this is a group that actually is not that many stocks. Unfortunately, a lot of ETFs that, that, that carry these. But you're, you're talking about CrowdStrike and Zscaler. Take a look at Palo Alto. They did a really great quarter. Uh, it, you're, you're, you're talking about a lot of companies that sound like they're the same thing, right? Uh, it, it, Cloudflare. It, 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 it's all one big a piece. And the piece is about the incredible rush to get on the cloud and out of the on-prem. And it's an amazing thing. And, you know, what, Steve, you and I have gone around. And where's Josh? Do you have Josh today? He's not on today. He's long NVIDIA, Josh. He is. Remember, he's long NVIDIA? I agree with him. My dog NVIDIA died, but not the company. Tiffany's long NVIDIA. She's here. Tiffany, <laughs> Tiffany, you know that this NVIDIA deal. <laughs> I if they pull, Hi, Tiffany. If they pull off the deal with ARM, <laughs> hey, 
You know what? Who's left? I saw Bob Swan on earlier. He's right. a nice guy. But right. <laughs> Yeah, no, no. Ab ab absolutely. I'm there with you, Jim. Absolutely. But there Jim, I've got, yeah. I've got people, you know, Tiffany's in DocuSign. I've got Joe in DocuSign. You know, we probably have the Robin Hooders in DocuSign. Other have you used DocuSign? DocuSign? Have you used it? I have. I, I have. bought a house. I didn't even I know I had bought it because of DocuSign. I, like, signed something it's next to I owned a house. Yes, I know. And, but it's, okay, <laughs> I, I hear you, right? And herein lies the problem that you're laying out. We've probably all used DocuSign. Right. But does that justify a forward P.E. of 320 times and a stock that's up 185% year to date? NVIDIA had a 200 times P.E. when I fell in love with the thing. But it turned out it had a 12 P.E. It made so much money. Jensen Wong is a genius. But Jensen well, Wong, should wasn't, his so business didn't, wasn't like a, you know, a, a pandemic-related play. What happens if DocuSign becomes the only way that we DocuSign buy DocuSign is not, though. Who else do you like? DocuSign, sorry. Go ahead, Tiffany. Can I just jump in yeah, please. really quick? DocuSign is not a pandemic play. Like, I was using DocuSign way before the pandemic. A ton of people were. I don't think, you know, we, we can discuss, like, for instance, right, like the example that you're giving, DocuSign in the same situation as like a Zoom. Zoom really, really took off during the pandemic. I totally get why that it did, right? Mm -hmm. um, but DocuSign is not that case. And so I feel like DocuSign is more of like this, so, this kind of like slow and steady play. Yes, there was definitely you know, um, increased users and, um, you know, uptick during the pandemic. But I don't think that we're going, you know, I, I think that that was, uh, the pandemic was almost like a commercial of for course, DocuSign. But they're, they're, it's it's like, impossible oh, that they can, can keep up this. their growth rate post-pandemic, isn't it? I don't know. I so don't know. Okay. The fact that Zoom and DocuSign is combined. You can buy something and watch something. I think, that, they that's the I think they did the yeah. S&P Global deal. <laughs> I'm not kidding. They like, did, they zoomed and DocuSign the darn thing. Now, look, I, all of these are, they're just, you want to know how to value them. How do you value the winner in a market where the, they may be the only one that is growing incredibly? Scott, how do you do it? There's no rule book. I don't know how you no do it. No rule book. No rule book. I think I like that. But isn't that can the I point? Steal that? Is, can I steal is, no is rule it, book? Is, you could definitely steal exactly You can as long as you give though? me credit. Steve Weiss, go ahead and then Joe. Steve and then Joe. Go ahead, Steve. Speechless. Isn't that exactly the point? That you can't figure out the value of it. That's not a positive thing, Jim. That's a bad thing. And that's why when it bursts, it's going to come down hard. DocuSign's ridiculous. Of course it's a COVID play. Just as Peloton is, just as Zoom is. Now, if they pulled forward demand that's going to stay with them, yes. But in what sane universe should DocuSign be valued Five times what Adobe's valued at. No, I, look, I don't In like none. to pay anything north of 10 times sales. I think my travel trust just doesn't want to own. Okay, we just won't own 10 times sales, which leaves like 50 companies that we won't own. Because I, I fear coming in one day and seeing those companies go down at a day when General Motors goes to 50. And I'm thinking, what was I doing not buying something that's six times, six times earnings instead of something that's 60 times sales? But I have to understand the growth investor's mind. And that's where you guys are right. Remember the growth investors? Some of them still are around. They come on and whatever is the fastest growing, there's no limit to what they'll pay. And that's the problem with these. DocuSign's a great company. I want it to come down, but it won't because it's the only game in town. Joe, wrap it up. Last word from you. 
Then Jim's got to go back to work. I do? I, why? Because I don't have any makeup and I look like I'm sick? <laughs> you look great. I didn't even know you didn't have makeup. That's how good uh, you look. Uh, hey, <laughs> I, how do I look in terms of like, never mind. <laughs> Jim, you look great. Go ahead, Joe. So I purchased DocuSign about a year ago, before the pandemic. And everything that you're suggesting is it relates to emerging growth. Scott, I agree with you. The valuation's ridiculous. We haven't even mentioned the stock, which I brought up in January of 2019 and purchased at $26. Jim knows what name that is. You know what the forward PE is on that stock? 2500 That's Twilio. Think about Twilio, where that is today. So absolutely, emerging growth is overvalued. However, emerging growth, if there is to be a correction, will find those source of funds going into established growth. Um, this is different than 99. In 99, there was no alternative when You're the right. bubble burst for the emerging technology right. names. This time around... There is. You know There's what they the call established that? You technology. Know what they call that, Joe? Wait, you're fool. Apple, what do you want to say? Amazon. You know, Microsoft. You, you know what you call it? No. You're gonna, Joe's going to love this. Quality. What? Right, Joe? Quality. No, quality, quality, moment, quality, quality momentum. Quality momentum. Like the Joe T ETF. All right. Quality. All right. Huh. Unscheduled but fabulous appearance, Jim. Thank you so much I for coming I love you guys. Tiffany, what, do you have what's tonight? what point am I, what am I stealing? Say what? Tiffany gave me a tough. Oh, what'd you say? I'm stealing something. Oh, um, no rule book. No rule book. Okay, right, no right. rule book. Because is there any real overlap no between, uh, between Mad Money and this show? I mean, I just say, hey, listen, by the way, I don't even think there's a rule book. No rule book. Speaking of, what do you have tonight? There's Remind no rule us. Book. Okay, I've got uh, PVH, which is uh, not, you know, overvalued, so to speak. Brad Jacobs. Hey, listen, that's an alternative maybe <laughs> to FedEx, UPS. I mean, look, these are undervalued companies. There's, there's frankly a rule book. Yeah. We can't wait for it. Uh, I can't thank you enough. Thanks for coming out. That was fun. I want you to land it in Span. I want you to double click on it. I want you to pull a thread on that. And, and I also, by the way, put a pin in it. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. All right. Steve Kramer. Catch Jim tonight on Mad Money, 6 o'clock, uh, with a great lineup uh, again tonight. Coming up, Disney surging 25% over the past month. Its price target just got raised to a new street high. We'll tell you what the number is, and we'll debate it in our call of the day. We'll do it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Wisconsin's Governor Tony Evers calling President Trump's attempts to overturn the state's election results a, quote, 
assault on democracy, end quote. The Wisconsin Supreme Court is considering a request from the Trump campaign to disqualify more than 220,000 ballots in two heavily Democratic counties. Norwegian Cruise Lines is keeping its ships docked well into next year. All cruises will be canceled through the end of February, and some March cruises will be suspended as well. And an update now on a story that we covered back in October. Brianna Hill gave birth while she was taking her bar exam, and now she's gotten her test results back, and she passed. She completed the exam at the hospital after delivering that little guy, her son, Cassius Phillip. Congratulations to all. That is the news update this hour. Scotty, I'll send it back to you. Those are the kind of stories we're here for, Sue. Yep. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Appreciate that, Sue Herrera. All right, a bullish call on Disney. Let's talk about it. Price target raised. New street high, a $175 at City. They talk about continuing momentum in the streaming business. Go figure. It's our call of the day. Farmer Jim, Tiffany, you own it. Farmer, you're up first. 175. Can Disney get to that level? I think pretty easily. It's about to break out to an all-time high. It's right on the cusp of that. Um, this is a great hybrid stock. What I mean by that, it's streaming, so it's got that growth engine, but it's a reopened stock with the theme parks and the studios and the broadcast business. Kind of the best of both worlds going forward. I want to leave some room for Tiffany here, but I'll just say this. It's got basically half the subscriber content, uh, numbers as Netflix, somewhat comparable in terms of market cap, but Netflix doesn't have Marvel, doesn't have Star Wars, doesn't have 21st Century Fox, etc., etc. There's There's a lot to like about Disney here okay tiffany anything you disagree with yep no no i, I totally agree with jim um and also remember uh disney owns owns uh, a portion of hulu too so they've got streaming covered um all around so i definitely like that play again uh, you know just to kind of re reiterate what, what jim said definitely a reopening stock um they you know used to rely on uh i think around like 30 percent of their revenue from theme parks so that's only going to get better as we kind of come through this this uh pandemic um and so i i just like it all all around the last time i was on the show i think i talked about it the fact that it, it's uh, a whole new world and it is all right Pardon the pun. All right. For more on the Disney call, by the way, <laughs> check out the article on CNBC Pro. You can go to CNBC.com slash pro. Have a good read there from our uh, pal Pippa Stevens. Now to Rahel Solomon with a few more calls on the street today. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Scott. So a bit of a mixed bag today, starting with Verizon and an upgrade to buy at Moffitt Nathanson. Price target jumps to 66 bucks a share. So analysts point out they're not exactly raging bulls here, but the stock is cheap. It's trading at half the market's P.E. multiple. T-Mobile, though, is actually their top pick in this space. Winnebago is initiated outperformer at Wedbush. Price here goes to 67. The price target, so there's been lots of talk, Scott, of the short-term tailwinds as cross-country trips have become more appealing during COVID, especially with millennials. But analysts note that the industry was already in the midst of a boom due to baby boomers taking to power sports, and they expect continued growth even post-pandemic. And this last one I know that Jim Labenthal likes. Jim Cramer also mentioned it this very morning as one that we do not talk about enough. That would be Thermo Fisher getting initiated as a buy at Goldman. Price target here is 57 per share, 570 per share. Analysts say that the company should benefit from their ability to reinvest COVID-related cash flow into other opportunities. You can see shares are up about one and a half percent, Scott. All right, Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon for that. Jim, she's right. I mean, you own Thermo, but you also own Winnebago. That's where I want to spend the time. Give me a thought here. This price target, 67 bucks, outperform at Wedbush. 
Yeah, I think Rahel hit, it on the, hit the nail on the head here that regardless of what the pros and cons are of the pandemic and reopening, the industry was in a, a secular boom before that happened. Um, you saw Winnebago hit 72 earlier this summer. I trimmed a little bit shortly below there. But here's the thing. It reset to a lower level as reopening became more on vogue and people thought that they weren't going to sell as many uh, campers. Camper sales are still going through the roof. They also recently bought Chris Craft, the, the motorboat company, they're doing a lot of things right here. They keep, like for the last five years, they've beat earnings estimates on every quarter. They'll have another quarterly report this month. And uh, I think when we talk about it then, we're going to see it going higher once again. All right, watching it right now. Jim, thank you for that. Up next, the top ETFs to watch today. And as we go to break, take a look at the S&P sectors out there. Uh, shaping up on a fairly muted day for the S&P 3662. That's where we trade. We're up a half a point. Energy is leading the way and a lot of big names within that space. I'll mention some of those on the other side that are absolutely ripping today. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Our guest today, Will McGough, CIO of Stadion Money Management, and Andrew McCormick. He's the Managing Director ETF trading solutions at Wallach Beth Capital. Well, let me start with you. Record inflows into equity ETFs in November. Records, particular big inflows into small cap stocks. The Russell 2000, huge inflows, IWM. Small caps have underperformed for six years. Is this finally the time for them to shine? Bob, thanks for having me on. And I would definitely say it's probably time to think about small caps in your asset allocation. Uh, you said six years. I had to go back to 2003 to find the total return with perfect hindsight where small caps beat large caps. So it's been you know, many, many years in the making of underperformance. And that tide is turning thanks to therapeutics. Small cap companies represent the heart of the American economy, uh, Main Street, so to say. And if you think things are going to get better and have optimism going forward, small caps are your play. 
Andrew, I want to ask you about the airline ETFs. I've been puzzled by the trading activity for months in this. This is JETS, J-E-T-S. It had $34 million in assets uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, and now it has $2.7 billion in assets. JETS has only regained 50% of its losses from earlier in the year, yet it's had this enormous amount of trading activity, enormous amount of fund flows. Can you explain what's going on with airline trading? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, first of all, we're in a stock picker's market, and I think we're in the biggest stock picker's market that I've seen in 10 years. What that means, stock pickers trade on themes, right? Thematic ETFs are going to grow. Thematic ETFs are going to get assets. Jets, 40 airlines, specific to that, reduces the single stock risk, and airlines have room to grow, right? The original stocks in this move were the techs and the stay at home. You're looking to gain some alpha. Airlines still have a considerable amount to go, and, you know, we just heard the news that cruise lines are going to delay. I don't think airlines are going to delay once this vaccine comes out. People are going to travel. And I think Delta, United, those major carriers can make up that gap that they've experienced and get back to you know where the other stocks have gone. I think that's 10, 20 percent for some of these companies, maybe even more. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. And don't forget all our videos on our website, etfedge.cnbc.com. Our upcoming show this Monday, IPOs in 2021, an exclusive look at predictions for the upcoming year. etfedge.cnbc.com. Halftime is back in 30 seconds. Welcome back. Energy, the best performing sector today, up more than 4%. Joe, I, I go to you. I, I know you think that Without energy, the market wouldn't look nearly as decent as it does today, albeit flat. Apache, Marathon Oil, Valero, Devon, Holly Frontier among the names that are rocking today. What do you make of this space? The only two names I would own would be Chevron or ExxonMobil. The top 20 names in the S&P 500 today, 17 of them are energy names. Well, that's it? The only ones you would own? That's funny, I mean, because that, that's where a lot of the conversation, at least on this show, has been lately right, with Pete and John. Um, I know Pete is in Exxon and Chevron now, and the, the Exxon buy was a new one. John talked about those yesterday, too. Why just those two over all of these others, which are having a really, really good day and a good run here? Because I'm investing for a little bit more than the next four to six weeks, and I think for energy, that's exactly what you would be doing. There's nothing wrong with placing a trade on energy. It's fine to do that. It will probably work out. But once President-elect Biden's administration comes in, I want to understand what the energy policy is going to be, what the regulatory environment is going to be. And I've got a feeling uh, that that's going to hold back some of the appreciation that we're seeing for energy yeah, going the forward. The stock's just ripping today. Joe, thanks. Bond yields are soaring, too, in the past week. How traders are playing that. We'll talk to them next. It's time for the futures outlook. Watching the 10-year yield. Let's bring in Brian Stutland now for the trade there. Hey, Stutz, good to see you. I am uh, looking right now, 95 basis points. Where are we going? What's the trade? Uh, yeah, we're headed right. For, we're headed right for, right for one percent, aren't we, Scott? Here, and three things happened yesterday: S&P 500 up, interest rates up, U.S. dollar down. When those three things occur, and you see outsides moves like we saw yesterday. It's typically a signal for reinflation happening. But what's interesting about yesterday is typically that type of trade move, those outsized moves, doesn't occur unless the S&P 500 is 25% off its highs. Yesterday, that happened when the S&P was at its highs. 
So I'm really starting to worry that reflation becomes inflation. And for that reason, I think the interest rates are going above 1%. I'd be a seller of the March 10-year note futures contract. That's a way to sort of hedge rates rising here. I'd be a seller at this 137.12 area, looking for it to trade down to 136.24. I'd put a stop at 138. You saw the trend line there. 138 is probably the upside where I'd get out and maybe the trend stops. But if we're in this inflationary environment, you know, I triple dog dare you, Scott, that this is true inflation right now. We've got to be careful here. Um, and on this trade, I'm just risking $625 to make 625 I think it's, although it's one-to-one, I think it's a good payout risk because I think inflation is coming. Yeah, something to watch as we uh, get into a new year for certain. Brian, thank you. Brian Stutland joining us there. We'll take a quick one. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All right, let's do final trades. Tiffany, why don't you start us off today? Sure. Uh, Ulta. So they report earnings tomorrow. Um, I am loving their announcement of their partnership to have little mini um, Ulta makeup stores within Target. I think it's a, it's like the best of both worlds. Um, expecting great things from them this holiday season also. Um, they're up 32% in the past month alone, and um, I love it. You've already owned it, and you bought a little bit more recently. Is that right? I did, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not deterred by that whole announcement with Sephora and um, Kohl's. That doesn't make any sense to me. The, that Sephora customer is not a Kohl's customer. So I, I think that the, the Ulta and Target partnership is great. Okay, thank you. Steve Weiss, what do you got? Jumia, I added to it. Stock traded off when they announced the offering. The fundamentals have gotten better since the quarter. It's on sale here. I'd step up. All right, Farmer James. Alphabet, all-time <laughs> high today. Does that catch anybody by surprise? I think it does. Yeah, nice move. All right, Joe, last but not least, what do you got for us? Perkin Elmer, that's about to make a new all-time high. And, Scott, your show up and sign, that's the line of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Guys, thanks. Thanks for watching. It was fun today. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.